everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our Y&R chat for Sunday, February 25th, 2018. Oh, Chelsea, it didn't have to be this way. There were other options. It's really been hard to watch a character that I've come to really like and respect (laughs) fall from grace so drastically. Last month, Chelsea was Genoa City's sweetheart, and now she's public enemy number one. It's been difficult to watch, and I want to make sure that I'm distinguishing between the character and the story because my biggest point of confusion over the course of Chelsea's story has been her motives. Why is she doing what she's doing? And from the beginning, I assumed that the Chelsea 2.0 scam was all about Chelsea feeling threatened by Victor. And that didn't ever really make sense to me, to be so rash uh, when Victor wasn't that much of a threat. But now, in light of everything that happened this week, I think that Chelsea just felt threatened by herself in a way. She was her own biggest enemy. She stole a quarter of a million dollars from Fenmore's as a financial safety net in case that she ever screwed up so badly in one way or another that she needed to get out of town and start a new life somewhere. I think that in her heart, Chelsea may have wanted to be a good soccer mom, to be a good wife to Nick, to be a good employee, to be a good citizen, but I don't think that she trusted herself that she could do it. I think that Chelsea felt like there was something broken in her core that would never let her live a normal life, so she sabotaged herself. I think Chelsea, I mean, she knew that federal prison, that losing her children, that losing Nick, that losing her business was a consequence of the scam. It didn't just occur to her yesterday. She knew it. She did it anyway. She's not stupid. She did it anyway. In fact, she made the whole situation way worse at every single turn. Every single turn was a mistake. All of this was preventable. Even after she stole the money, all everything that has happened was preventable. First of all, I really think she made an error of judgment in switching Victor's status from ally to enemy. She was in with Victor. They were in collusion on the whole paternity secret thing. They were sort of uh, developing an understanding. And at some point, Chelsea decided that Victor was an enemy when I think that Victor could have been the complete solution for her. I think that Victor tried to help her cover up the mess that she made with Lauren by offering Lauren the payoff. And also, I think that Chelsea's probably, I think that she could have prevented all this by teaming up with Victor, but also I think that she underestimated and grossly mishandled Phyllis. I think that the way she handled Phyllis was, was really kind of insane. Like, after Phyllis confronts Chelsea about the stolen money, rather than seeking help from Victor or trying to appeal to Phyllis and Lauren, she makes it all infinitely worse by offering up her biggest lie that she's been keeping to Phyllis on a silver platter. She tells Phyllis that Nick is not Christian's father as if one had anything to do with the other. The whole stolen money scam with Fenmore's had nothing to do with Nick and the paternity secret, but she offers it to Phyllis anyway and thereby 
arms Phyllis with uh, like even more ammunition against her. That was the point where she destroyed her own life. Phyllis was trying to give Chelsea a get out of jail free card if you think about it by saying okay I I will not turn you into the police I will let all of this go if you just break off your engagement with Nick wouldn't that have been a better alternative to federal prison Chelsea that would have been a better alternative to letting Nick find out that he was raising his brother's son it would have been a better alternative to leaving the country with one or both of the children. At first, Phyllis doesn't even believe what Chelsea has told her about the paternity. Phyllis believes that Chelsea is only bluffing in order to get her to back off. But Phyllis doesn't just back off. Phyllis never backs off. She decides to investigate and she teams up with Sharon to investigate Chelsea's claim. I feel like Sharon and Phyllis working together was probably the best part of this entire storyline. I feel bad for saying that, but Phyllis and Sharon made adorably entertaining sidekicks for one another. And the irony of them working together to investigate a paternity secret is rich. Isn't it? I mean, Sharon has kept at least two paternity secrets from Nick specifically that I can think of. And Phyllis's entry into Genoa City was based around the Danny Daniel paternity lies. So it was great to see these two people who have some experience, some expertise in this area working together to bust somebody else with the paternity uh, secret. I did. I loved I, I thought um, Phyllis talking to Sharon about the DNA results and mentioning that she used to work in a DNA lab in New York. I thought that was like a deep pull into Phyllis's roots, into her history of the show. I totally remember that. Working with Sasha at that DNA lab. Oh, that that was a long time ago, you guys. Well, the thing is, Phyllis realizes that Adam's DNA has to be on file at the police department. So if she can get that information, then she can compare it to the DNA test that Sharon had done uh, in the whole light of the Christian Sully maternity (laughs) reveal. So since Sharon works at the GCP at the Crisis Center, she can get Adam's DNA profile from the police computers with a little help from Kevin Fisher. And the results do confirm to Phyllis and to Sharon that Adam is indeed Christian's father. I I was a little bit disappointed in that. Was anybody kind of hoping that the twist would be that they'd get these DNA results and realize that Adam and Christian weren't a match, that maybe Nick was actually Christian's father? That was my hope, uh, but it didn't turn out that way. Now, though... Phyllis and Sharon, and specifically Phyllis at this point in the week, is uh, really left with a a crisis of conscience. What to do um, with this info? Do you tell Nick that he's raising his brother's son and and risk having him lose his son or who he thinks is his son? Or do you just keep this a secret and watch Nick live a lie. Neither option feels really good. Phyllis, though, decides that the best course of action is to just back off for now. She feels like she's not going to tell Nick the truth. Uh, She's just going to find another way to bring Chelsea down. The flip side of that, though, is Sharon. They were on different sides of the fence, I think, a a little bit as far as what to do with the information they found. Sharon's in a specifically awkward position (laughs) as someone who has kept this kid's paternity and maternity a secret once. I I mean, she's someone who's kept, like, more than one paternity secrets from Nick. And, like, I guess she's just finally learned her lesson. (laughs) After all these years, all these times about keeping paternity secrets. So she wants to tell Nick. She even dials the phone to tell Nick. She's like getting, practically getting a couple syllables out on telling Nick when all of a sudden 
we see a gloved hand grab a coffee pot and smash Sharon over the head with it. Flash to the very next episode and we see Chelsea's face holding the coffee pot. Chelsea has smashed Sharon over the head with a coffee pot, once again, making her situation so much worse. <laughs> Mistake. I, I mean, she, now she can add assault to the list of all of the criminal activities she's done. I, at this point, I am realizing that the Chelsea I'm looking at is not really the Chelsea that I've known over the past couple of years. This woman has come completely unhinged. I honestly was not expecting her to go that far. I was not even really expecting for YNR to reveal it. I don't know if you guys had the notion of like at the, on that cliffhanger thinking that we were never going to know who smashed Sharon over the head and there was going to be uh, a, a whodunit or a, 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 you know, a, a, an implication maybe that Chelsea did it, but never a reveal. Uh, but that's not what happened. I mean, it was it was straight up Chelsea. <laughs> mashing Sharon over the head with a coffee pot. Nikki does walk in. She discovers Sharon knocked out on the floor. Chelsea has to duck behind a counter real quick, steal some money out of the cash register to try to stage it to make it look like it was a robbery. And she somehow slips out of, of the front door, I suppose, uh, or the back door in all of this commotion. Sharon is transported to the hospital in this emergency room with Nikki there, Nick there, and Mariah there all worried about whether or not she's even going to make it. Phyllis hears about Sharon's accident, knows that it's no accident, and goes to the hospital trying to convince Nick that not only has Chelsea been lying to him the way Phyllis was trying to convince him previously, but now Phyllis is trying to convince Nick that Chelsea was actually the one who knocked out Sharon. Nick is not hearing it. <laughs> and, oddly, neither is Sharon. It, first of all, in the old days, Sharon would have been in a coma for weeks, and then she would have woke up, had amnesia, but this story did move really, really fast. Phyllis gets into Sharon's room, tries to convince her that Chelsea was the one who whacked her, just to keep Sharon quiet over the paternity secret, and even Sharon had a hard time believing it. Sharon had an opportunity to talk to Paul about who could have been the one that done this to her, and she didn't take that opportunity. She didn't even let slip any suspicion in Chelsea's direction. Now, all this time that all of this is going on, the boys, Christian and Connor, are staying overnight at Nikki and Victor's house until... <laughs> Chelsea shows up at the door with crazy eyes saying that she's here for the boys. Creepily saying, I'm here for the boys. And this was not the plan. Nikki's a little bit suspicious of Chelsea. Something about this doesn't seem quite right. But of course, Nikki lets her take the children. It's not like Chelsea's going to kidnap them and leave the country or something, right? Flash two, <laughs> Chelsea in the car with the two kids in the back seat. She's speeding into the night and presumably to an airport somewhere where she's going to fly off into who knows where. Phyllis is the one who's really moved forward the story. Phyllis is the one who starts putting it all together. She calls Victor to hopefully get some reassurance that at least the children are safe. Gee, I hope Victor's able to do something here. I hope he has like a tracking device on Chelsea's car. Oh, good, he does. Good, good, good. <laughs> We're safe. No, Victor... The man himself goes to track down the car's location on the side of the road. He flips open the door, and who's sitting inside in the driver's seat? It's Jordan. <laughs> nice little surprise twist. Victor thinks he's caught Chelsea, but it's actually Jordan running decoy in Chelsea's car. Uh, she's ditched that original. She's in a new car, and she's telling the boys that they're going to go on a secret trip. 
this is, to me, this is where the story gets the most sad. There's this kind of eerily calm, dark moment in the car where Chelsea's finally alone. And we know that this has been a whirlwind of craziness in her mind and in her life, but there's this little moment of quiet in the car, and she finally has the opportunity to start thinking about the life that she's leaving behind. And we see her experiencing all of these memories in the rearview mirror, the life that she's leaving in the rearview mirror, um, you know, her entire love story of falling in love with Nick, with Nick, having sex with Nick on Christmas and then having sex with Nick on New Year's and even having sex with Nick this past Valentine's Day. There's just so much sex to remember and it makes her sad. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Look, I don't doubt that Chelsea loved Nick. I absolutely think Chelsea loved Nick. I, I, you know, I'm thinking back to that conversation that Chelsea had with Sharon at the coffee house. And I imagine that Chelsea loved Nick, but Nick could never really identify or understand that brokenness inside of her the way that Adam could. That was, you know, part of what the connection was between her and Adam. He had an understanding of what it was like to be a broken person. And at the beginning of the week, Chelsea was suggesting that they sh- that she and Nick should have a quickie wedding out of town, that they should just get married. And it makes, you know, I thought at first on the surface that maybe that was all about her not wanting him to testify against her or just trying to secure him in some way. But I think it was revealed that what she was sort of dually aiming at there was an expedited adoption process. She wanted both she and Nick to become the legal guardians of both of the two children. So I thought, you know, in that in the wake of all of the mess that she's made of her relationship and of her life, that action to me did speak to Chelsea's desire to build her family, even if she was knowing deep down that she was not capable of being the person that everyone thought that she was. In the rearview mirror, Chelsea's thinking of Nick, she's looking at Christian, and she's realizing the reason that she never told Nick the paternity secret in the first place. She's remembering the reasons behind keeping the secret in the first place. The two boys have become so close that they're like brothers. She knows how much Nick loves Christian. She also knows how much Christian has been through just trying to have a stable home and a stable family. And she realizes that on top of everything that she's just done, she cannot take Christian with her. Connor's her son, but she cannot do that to Nick and Christian. So she drops Christian off at Victoria's house, rings the doorbell, and splits. Victoria calls Nick and she tells him that Christian has mysteriously showed up there when Nick thinks that the boys, I mean, Nick has no idea any of this has gone on. He thinks that the boys are staying overnight at Grandma Grandpa's house. He gets up to leave to go get the kid and that's when he discovers that Chelsea has left him a note in an envelope with the engagement ring inside and the haunting words, by the time you read this, I will be gone. That note, (laughs) that note. I I listened to to it twice. I listened to Nick read it twice. Chelsea does her best to explain her actions, her frame of mind, her love for him. 
but the interesting thing was that this note was written when she was still planning to take both of the boys. So she's not only explaining why she's gone, but she's also explaining that she's taking Christian too. I am glad that the show gave Chelsea that redeemable moment in Nick's eyes uh, by allowing it to be obvious that she chose not to take Christian from him. But now we're still left, even if Chelsea has left, we're still left with the paternity secret. It has really just transferred ownership from Chelsea to Phyllis and Sharon. And I don't think Phyllis is going to tell Nick. I think that Phyllis is just going to have the satisfaction of being right and of getting evil Chelsea out of Nick's life. But Sharon, though, Sharon is stuck with, like, one heck of a headache, no medication, and this burden of truth now, right? I think I think that Sharon, if she wanted to tell him before getting whacked over the head, I think she's going to want to tell him after. I think all, all that was was just a delay. I absolutely think Sharon will be telling Nick the truth. It's, I mean, it's obvious, right? Isn't it kind of so obvious that Weiner is going to use this as a way to bond Nick and Sharon? I think they're absolutely going to be reunited over this. I can see them raising Christian together. And I'm a Nick and Sharon fan. I, I would love to see that eventually down the road, Nick and Sharon together you know, raising Christian, but I, but I can't shake the feeling of sadness that Chelsea had to be totally sacrificed to do it. Like her legacy on the show has to be totally sacrificed to do it because what she's done is really, really bad. Nobody's going to want to forgive her. And it's just, it's left, it has to leave kind of a bad taste in your mouth where Chelsea's concerned. And I don't want that. You know, I would have much rather seen Chelsea leave on somewhat of a positive note like the turn in her character came out of nowhere it like she she was you know the whole thing she was a good girl and then two to three weeks passed and she's like uh, you know turned into a bad girl again and now she's as good as gone I'm not I'm not sure if that is a satisfying end for me is it for you YRChat.com. Did YNR give Chelsea a good goodbye to Genoa City? I want you to go to the website, vote in that poll, leave me your comments on how you feel about the resolution of this storyline. YRChat.com. Did, did YNR do a good job uh, with, with this goodbye for Chelsea, or are you kind of left with a bad taste in your mouth? Let me know. The drama of Chelsea this week was so all-consuming for the show, but I still want to kind of highlight some of the other great moments that happened inside of that story, and specifically Mariah supporting Sharon and being there for Sharon in the hospital and all again seeing her take on that sort of motherly role in wanting to protect Sharon and keep the outsiders away and I just love this relationship the the Mariah Sharon relationship is one thing that I think this current writing team has done right they've really allowed us to have some movement on that some growth on that uh, Mariah and Sharon have had uh, a rocky road. Mothers and daughters have a natural bond that is formed at birth and it develops over time. But Mariah and Sharon didn't have that. Mariah was taken from Sharon at birth and not discovered that that was even her daughter until a couple of years ago. So these are two women who haven't even known each other that long. So it can't be assumed that that natural bond would still be there. And I appreciate that YNR is taking the time to acknowledge that and also to move forward the growth of that bond. I mean, it's how long, it's taken how long and how much time for them to get here. 
uh, I also like seeing a little bit more from Cameron Grimes than just the controversial love story that they've been highlighting over the past uh, couple of months. I mean, I don't know if, if, if Mariah and Tessa are ever going to work out, but Kevin was in town this week to talk to Mariah about it. He was here for more than just GCPD password <laughs> that helped Sharon and Phyllis connect the dots on the paternity secret. And he did sit down and have a conversation with Mariah. I, I believe that Kevin was the first or one of the first people that Mariah confided in about her feelings for Tessa. So it felt right that they would have an opportunity to sit down and just talk about it. And interestingly, Mariah, in talking about it, did seem more secure, more confident, I guess, in the fact that she was questioning her sexuality. She tells him, Yes, I'm attracted to women, but I'm also attracted to hot guys, too. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a, an interesting little, uh, you know, clue or facet, I suppose, it, into what's currently going on in Mariah's mind, what the status is. And Kevin was very supportive. I mean, look, some people n- never question their sexuality. Some people are constantly questioning their sexuality, and some people like, never come to terms with it either. So there's certainly... A spectrum, and I, I'm not sure if YNR in doing this and 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 having that conversation is it, uh, were they trying to broach away uh, to, to getting a conversation going on the show about sexuality, or are they just leaving the door cracked for Mariah to become eventually attracted to a male character someday, realizing that maybe they just painted her into a corner, considering there are no other gay characters on the show. Hillary learns that she is not pregnant, and that's a major blow to her. She is very disappointed. She's put a lot of hopes and dreams onto this as a life goal, and now it's currently not going to work out for her. I liked the moment where she sat down with Jack. Jack comforts her, and he tries to convince her to just admit what she really wants. It's not a baby. It's a family with the man that she loves. The problem is uh, the man she loves has just discovered her role in Juliet's lawsuit against Kane. Again, two steps forward, one step back. Devon <laughs> hands that flash drive that he discovered of the video evidence directly over to Lily and Kane. Doesn't even comment on it. Just like stops by, puts it in Lily's hand, says, just watch it. Let me know if you need to talk. <laughs> I mean, Devon is, he's like, I am not going to make any excuses for Hillary. I don't really want to be caught up in this. I'm just going to give this to you and let be what will be. Lillian Kane watched the video of Juliet confessing to Hillary that Kane never sexually harassed her. And they just stand there, I think, taking a minute to let the truth sink in about how that lawsuit almost destroyed him. The thing, though, that that eats at me a little bit was that there was very little talk about Juliet's role in her own lawsuit, yet they are immediately incensed that Hillary knew it was baseless all along. I get it. I am not trying to be a, a, a complete and total Hillary apologist for this situation. Hillary did a bad thing. I just want to mention, though, that to say that the lawsuit broke up Lillian Kane is a kind of a, a, a gross oversimplification of the story. Lillian Kane mostly had some problems over Kane's infidelity. That doesn't mean that they don't have a right to confront Hillary, though. And they did. They pounced on Hillary in Devon's office, and it's right as. Hillary is telling Devon how much she cares about him. She is finally acknowledging the feelings that I think she was afraid to admit out loud, even to herself, much less admit to him. I was very surprised with how raw 
she was with Devon. She was bearing her soul with absolute confidence that he would return the sentiment. I was also really surprised, though, by how flippant she was when Lily and Kane confronted her, wanting her to uh, confess to what she'd done or just own up to what she had done. I mean, she was in the middle of this moment with Devon. Lily and Kane come in. They try to, uh, well, I mean, they were not friendly about it at all, but they, they confront her about it. And Hillary does try to kind of explain it all away. I just got this sense that her view on it was, meh, it was ancient history. What does it even matter? You guys are back together now. Who cares? Let's not focus on it. But it does matter to Lillian Kane. That's the point. It matters to Lillian Kane. It was something that she did to hurt them, especially when they thought they had forged friendships with her. And, you know, probably more importantly to Hillary, the fact that she did this matters to Devon. It matters to Lillian Kane. It matters to Devon. There's no way that Devon now is just going to ignore another Hillary storm and jump right back into the boat with her. So, I mean, it seemed like she was very unapologetic toward Lillian Kane, but much more apologetic toward Devon. She, you know, he tells her, you know what, I'm... I, I, I will still work with you. I am still committed to working with you. That's a business decision, but I don't even want to look at you right now. Uh, he won't even communicate with her directly either. He, like Everything that they are saying to each other at this point is supposed to be filtered through Tessa. He's sending Tessa to do any business uh, conducting with Hillary that needs to be done. Oh, Hillary. Hillary, it is coming back on you. Lily also told Victoria about Hillary's role in nearly bringing down uh, Brash and Sassy with that lawsuit. And so Victoria also gets up in Hillary's face and gets a few good jabs of her own. Oh, she said to her, I want to ask you a question. Are you a genetic sociopath or like did you just lack basic human emotions due to some like mishap that you had as a child I thought oh that was a oh, that was a burn but it was kind of you know a fair question it was a good it was a good line at least uh, but you, but Victoria did make some good points against Hillary she said people's emotions never seem to factor into any of the things that you do fair point the one bone of contention that I have with Victoria and her whole rant on Hillary was I didn't like uh, Victor Victoria saying that Hillary owes her biggest apology to Juliet. Um, I mean, an apology? Yeah, okay, I guess Hillary would owe Juliet an apology. She did dog her, kind of turn on her, and, you know, baited her into this whole thing and then abandoned her. But, I mean, I'm sorry, Hillary encouraged Juliet to go through the lawsuit, but she certainly didn't force Juliet to go through with that lawsuit. Nobody's focusing on Juliet's own culpability here. It was Juliet's decision. She's ultimately the one who would be responsible for that action. Another Billy Hillary moment this week. Billy buys Hillary a drink and sits down with her, gives her the chance to just be open and honest with somebody about why she did what she did. So Hillary lets it all hang out. She admits to Billy that her true motive in supporting Juliet's lawsuit was to make Lily squirm. I, mean, I think we all kind of knew that. Hillary views Lily as being so perfect. Perfect Lily on a perfect pedestal. She has no dark side. She has no struggles. Her life is perfect, perfect, perfect. And as someone who has a dark side and as someone who is clearly imperfect, Hillary wanted to watch Lily suffer. But Welcome to the human race, Hillary. Watching someone else suffer will never make you feel better. And she realized that. Hillary realizes it. She tries to backtrack it. And Billy gives her some good advice. 
Stop telling people that you've changed. Start showing people that you've changed. I think she has done degrees of that over the past couple of months. She did turn her show around. She has been less gossipy. It's just that now things are coming back to her that she was doing before she had that realization. Here's the part where I sort of fell, um, I started feeling icky, more icky about Hillary, though. Billy tells her, start, you know, do something good. Tell, you know, tell, show people that you're actually sorry. And her way of doing that was to fire up the camera and to go on screen, on live, on the Hillary Hour and do this on-air segment about lies where she was in a veiled way talking about her own lies and she was apologizing to the people that she had hurt without saying saying exactly what she had done it was icky i it just it it was it was it fell completely flat she thought that it was going to be met with sympathy and with praise but it immediately fell off the mark to me like building trust is something that's going to take personal effort, a personal connection, personal, you know, a, a mea culpa, uh, it, it's going to take time. It's going to take effort and time. And it's not something that's going to be accomplished in a 30 minute TV segment. You can't just go, hey, hey, did you guys see what I did online? I, or, you know, you, you forgive me though, right? I mean, it was great, right? So I'm forgiven. Everything's cool. I, I, like the whole thing felt like more of a PR statement. I don't know. Like, it would have been easier for me to forgive her if it didn't seem also self-serving. I don't know. The other thing is that it just, it, it feels like, at the end of the day, the only person whose opinion Hillary cares about at all is Devon. I mean... She doesn't care about Lillian Kane. Fine. They're, you know, they've, they have, they're not her biggest fans anyway. But she cares about Devon's opinion more than she even cares about her own. It's just all about Devon. And she even said this week and implied on a couple of occasions, it's fine. Devon will forgive me. You know, that's, it's kind of our thing. I mess up. Devon forgives me. We get over it. We move on. Well, that's not happening this time. Devon... <laughs> saw her on-air apology and he sits down with her and rather than giving her the praise she thought was coming he reprimands her because apparently going like I don't know using the show to for her own like personal agenda is apparently a breach in her contract and he tells her don't ever do that again I'm not firing you but don't ever do that again I uh, and then he gets up and then he he like walks over to his beautiful, talented girlfriend and he gives her a big old smooch right in front of Hillary. The whole thing is just, it's entered into icky territory for me. I, I think, I just think that Hillary needs to stop focusing on Devon right now, at least, because it's similar, I think, in a way to Chelsea and what Chelsea's gone through. There's something that's broken inside in Hillary. And I think that she will be able to find love. I think she will be able to be happy. I think she would be able to blossom as the woman that she wants to be if she finds a way to repair that brokenness and not just run away the way that Chelsea did. We started out the week inside of this flashback slash extended scene from back when JT first came into town. So, apparently, after JT lied to Paul and Christine about Nikki transferring all that money from Victor's account. Paul and Christine actually caught him in his lie. Remember, he had reported that, you know, that everything was fine. There was no misuse, mishandling of money. And we thought he got away with it scot-free. But this flashback slash extended scene is now telling us that he didn't 
get away with it. Uh, it's being revealed to us now that Paul and Christine caught him and now they're forcing him to work undercover for the police to bust Victor or he's going to be the one in hot water. He's he's So he's officially undercover. He's deep undercover too, y'all. <laughs> Deep. <laughs> he is in a sensitive position at Victor's company with access to secure files now, but he's also sleeping with Victoria. <sighs> a lot. <laughs> I guess that's just a side benefit is... Is that just a secondary goal of JT's? Like, if he's being forced into this undercover situation, is he just partaking in the Victoria just as a as a little something-something happiness on the side? Does he really want a relationship with her? Is he just hoping that she'll forgive him once he completes the job and the truth comes out? Like, hey, yeah, I totally destroyed your father and your company and your life, but look at this amazing job that Paul offered me. He's also brokered himself a part of the deal to get a job at the end of all this. So, I don't know. First of all, I was not crazy about Paul and Christine's unfounded crusade to bust Victor a few months ago when it was going on, and I'm not crazy about it now. I'm annoyed, actually, that it's being brought back up. Second, I would like to know if Y&R filmed that flashback at the time? Was that extended scene something that happened at the time? Or did they go back and refilm it retroactively? Like, are we experiencing a rewrite right now is my main question. And so if, if, that, if it is a rewrite, or I don't know, either way, what about the pill popping? Did that just disappear? I, why would they show us that twice and then never again unless this is a story that's being molded along the way? That's starting to make me feel like maybe that's what's going on right now. Is any of that still relevant? And, and no matter what, no matter what, None of this excuses JT's behavior as of late. Okay, fine, he's undercover. Fine, okay, I guess I can accept that on one level, but that doesn't explain all of the weird, creepy things he's been saying to Victoria. It doesn't explain his attitude toward her, his hostility. Maybe it's maybe it's all of the above. Maybe he is undercover. Maybe he's got a drug problem. I just don't know. It, it feels like, I feel like YNR wanted that extended flashback scene to help me make sense of things or to make an excuse for some things or like that was supposed to be an aha it all makes sense now moment but it, it made it worse for me I, it, like because now JT is actively deceiving Victoria on top of everything else that was going on blah, 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 blah. They had another argument <laughs> every week. It's an argument between JT and Victoria. And in order to make up for their uh, Valentine's Day mess, they decided to do a Valentine's Day redo. And they get all dressed up and they're going to go out again. I was personally offended by having to look at Victoria in that red rose dress again. This is... I think the third time we've seen her in that dress, I guess I get, um, I don't know, I get spoiled a little bit by seeing different fashions every episode. And now, I mean, I can't believe she went upstairs and put on the same dress. <laughs> That's never happened, I don't think, on YNR. Why couldn't they at least just have worn something else? <laughs> Well, they go out and, you know, they think they're going to have an actual redo of Valentine's Day. They think they're going to be at the top of the tower, but JT has screwed up the reservation and he's pretty much blaming it on, like, or taking out his hostility on the poor guy that runs the restaurant. And Victoria's trying to smooth it over with her baby boyfriend the way she always does. And they end up at a hot dog cart downtown and everything's fine. It all works out only because Victoria is willing to baby him. 
them. Then they go home. They snuggle up. They make nice. And Victor. And then afterwards, uh, JT's trying to pry information out of her about Victor and bluggity blue. At this point, I'm just thoroughly confused. How much of JT's behavior is true and how much of it is part of the con? When he says, I love you, does he mean it? On a chilly Genoa City morning in February, it begins. Isn't that, doesn't that sound like a line? It's like a first line of a book or something. <laughs> that was our quote from last week. Quite a few of you guessed that it was Jack who said it. Jack is always kind of sentimental. It almost sounds like a line that would come out of Jack's mouth. He was in the park at the Chancellor Cafe talking with Victoria about their big plan to make it look like Ashley is a mole at New Enterprises, and he again just very sentimentally is, is acknowledging that this is the beginning of a big plan. Uh, we didn't get any movement on that story this week, though, but quite a few people guessed the quote. So, congratulations, Henry, Jamie, Tony, Harper, Erica, Irene, Ambreen, Aaron, Janice, Tanya, and Ellen. Congratulations, you guys. Let's do another quote this week. What color is the sky in your world? I like that line. I don't know why. What color is the sky in your world? Um, the color of the sky in my world is gold. <laughs> I'm gonna go gold. What color is the sky in your world? If you think you know who said it, go to yrchat.com and leave me your guess so that you can get it right and get your shout out on next week's YNR Chat. So many comments, so let's start reading them. Ellen had an interesting note about the sets uh, and some of the lighting and the scenes that have been going on on the show recently. Ellen says there have been a number of scenes shot in front of a window. Uh, lately, where that daylight is streaming in through a shade. I really like the technical changes we're getting. We're seeing new angles on the sets, mood lighting, more conversation in cars, more movement in general. I just wish the storylines were as good as the production quality. I'm glad you mentioned that, Ellen, because I was thinking that we had that scene with JT and Victoria last week where they were, uh, you know, it, this, they were, I think, shaded and the background was very bright. We had another scene this week in Billy and Phyllis's apartment as Phyllis is filling Billy in on all of the dirty details surrounding Chelsea and her secret and the hunt for Chelsea. Uh, and I think uh, it just seemed, it was extremely bright in the apartment. And it was, it's, it is notable. It's a notable change in the way that some of the scenes are being filmed. And it's interesting also that when Y&R, uh, in, in the early days, I think, uh, you know, started uh, airing, they received a lot of accolades specifically for the way the show was filmed darker. And I think that that was one of the things that really pulled me into the show in the 90s when I started watching, the fact that it didn't look like a soap opera. It had more dramatic, more contrast. It felt like it was visually darker than other shows that were in during daytime, and it, it made it more distinct in that way. And now here we are, at, you know, 45 years into the show, and we are seeing some very different, you know, some big changes in the way the show looks and moves, and the fact that it's, you know, it, it almost seems like too bright in some of the scenes. It's like over contrast, like the characters in the foreground are almost difficult to see sometimes because of that, like, blast of 
brightness. I wonder if you guys are noticing that too, the visual changes. But I do like also, Ellen, that you mentioned about the movement, being in cars. Yes, we are seeing, we're seeing the camera following in different ways. It, it, there is a very clear sense that we are working under a new uh, uh, regime here. And uh, yeah, in some ways it's good. In some ways uh, it's, you know, it, it could be better. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I, you know, but as you say, I wish the storylines story were as good as the production quality. Sometimes they are. Uh, Sandra at YRChat.com left a comment early in the week thinking about where we were going to be going with the Chelsea storyline. And I thought this was just an interesting uh, uh, comment, keeping in mind that I think Sandra left this on Monday saying, I just hope that when the truth comes out with Chelsea and Nick, that Chelsea's there to face it. I'd hate to have the truth come out and then Chelsea runs off with Connor. I want to be witness to all the drama and the fallout. Well, <laughs> that's how I felt too. And now here we are after Friday's show. It is a bit of a disappointment that we possibly won't get to see Nick confront Chelsea. Uh, I'm presuming that she is just gone. We may see a little hint of her into next week, but I think for the most part, we're not going to get any kind of resolution or payoff between Nick and Chelsea, which is a little bit sad. Gary left me a voicemail saying to me, the secret itself, the secret itself that Christian is not Nick's son just seems like small potatoes. Does anybody else feel this way? I think this is an interesting point, Gary, that I wanted to highlight because it speaks to my own trouble in understanding why Chelsea's character went down the way it did because the lie and the covering up of the lie was so, so, so much bigger than the original paternity issue. Don't you think that Nick could have handled the truth if Chelsea and Victor and everyone had just been up front with him in the beginning? Chelsea and Nick could have still had their happy family and their happy life. There, there's no reason that this paternity secret ever needed to escalate the way that it did. And in some ways, yeah, I think that's what had it had created a disconnect for me uh, in the story. The stakes just got raised, raised, raised so high when the original issue was, was, as you say, small potatoes. I also thought this was an interesting interpretation. Gary says, was Chelsea wanting to adopt both kids because then she could take them away and it wouldn't legally be kids? kidnapping. I hadn't thought about that at all. I um, immediately just assumed that it was about establishing, uh, you know, legal guardianship for both of them. I hadn't even thought about the fact that it might have been part of Chelsea's getaway plan. I mean, well, I don't think we'll ever know. It's tough because, again, it's a leap between, you know, like the character and the writing. And I, I just it, I wish we had some more time to have let this all play out. I, I, that's that's the thing. It's a she Chelsea's a longtime character on the show. So much has gone into everything she's thought, everything she is. And then the dramatic goodbye was two weeks long. There's no way Wyanor didn't know about the fact that Chelsea won or that most Claire wanted to leave the show. I wonder why it happened so quickly. Carper left me a voicemail saying, I haven't cried at an episode of YNR probably since the 90s, but this was really sad. My heart goes out to Nick, of course, but my heart also goes out to Chelsea. She's a product of her environment. Chelsea was raised with a scamming mother, and scamming is all she knows. Even though she has this amazing life, there's still a part of her that feels like she has to protect herself because at any moment it could be ripped out from under her. Yes, Harper, I was surprised with the amount of empathy that I felt for Chelsea because I started out the week being really mad at her. Her motives, her frame of mind really came into clearer view for me as the week went on, and I felt sad too. I did. Ha I was sitting there watching it, feeling like I wanted to cry. I, I didn't for some reason, but I, I felt gut-wrenched watching it. 
Connor left me a voicemail saying if they're going to end the story of Chelsea, they need to bring back Dylan. Chelsea passed Connor off as Dylan's son, and unbeknownst to him, he was raising Christian as Sully. So if you think about it, Dylan was the proclaimed father to both of Adam's children. So Dylan needs to be back in this story. That would have been a good tie-in. Of course, Steve Burton is tied in with General Hospital now. But yeah, I just it's it's a symptom of the fact that there just were so many other possible ways that this whole Chelsea thing could have gone down. I wonder how you guys are going to vote in that poll and if you were uh, ultimately pleased with it. Anna left me a voicemail saying, is this the end of Chelsea or are they going to show her next week? She was talking to that mysterious person on the phone. Could it be a signal that she's going to live with her mother? Um, I don't know if we've seen the last of Chelsea or not. I, I kind of wonder if they will do a little bit of wrap up on Monday. Daisy on Facebook says, I think YNR is trying to make it seem like Chelsea called Adam, but it was probably her mother. I would be happily surprised if it were Adam, but I think he's in the abyss of the YNR bad storylines. But not to worry, that's where Chelsea's headed. <laughs> Maybe they'll team up to get back at Phyllis for how she treated them. Awful storyline. I'm not happy with Chelsea stealing and leaving at all. I, You know what? That whole Adam thing was probably a complete red herring. I should have known better even then to bring it up because every time we say, oh, maybe Adam's behind it, he never is. I completely agree. Anna, Daisy, it's probably Chelsea being on the phone with her mother or something. Uh, there's, no, there's just no way if Chelsea knew Adam was alive, she even would have been telling Nick how much she loved him. And I just think if if Adam was alive she would have probably just brought Christian so yeah red herring as always let's just never talk about Adam being recast again ever unless he actually is recast and we see his face on the show deal (laughs) deal Liz at yrchat.com say says I'm loving the pairing of Sharon and Phyllis as an investigative duo. duo. It's just so much fun watching the two of them feeding off of each other. But why did they have to solve the DNA issues so quickly? I was hoping their sleuthing would last a few more weeks so we could continue to see them scheming together to bring Chelsea down. Isn't there something else they can investigate? <laughs> yes. Liz, I, uh, I, I totally enjoyed that part of the story. Once again, everything was so quick. All of that would have, in a Another world have taken a little bit longer and there are positives and negatives to that we would have probably been complaining if it would have dragged on too long but boy it was lickety split quicko more Sharon and Phyllis for sure there we need we do need to find something else they can work on together Oh, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Sandra also left a comment at YRChat.com saying, I really appreciate how YNR has brought Kevin back several times since he and Bella moved away. I hope it continues. I think it's a great practice for the show to let characters move on in different ways away from Genoa City without killing them off or sending them to prison and bring them back to the canvas every once in a while, much in the way that Tracy is able to have her own life in New York, but still be part of our YNR GC world. I hope they do the same thing with Noah. Don't just send him to India, never to be seen again, or Summer, who's still on her 18-month-long vacation. (laughs) Yeah, I think there should be some flexibility there. I would, you know, have your core cast. Yeah, sure, I understand. You can't keep everybody on permanent contract. But I I do, that's a good point, that I do like the way they're kind of just weaving in, you know, people like Kevin, you know, for a cameo here and there. They're still around, even if they're not in, you know, in in the forefront. Diana at YRChat.com says, Nikki must have done something right. Arturo can't seem to get enough of her. (laughs) He keeps calling Nikki since their rendezvous. LOL. Maybe he'll become a stalker of Genoa City. That'd be an interesting storyline. Bring on Arturo. Well, I don't know if I want to see him necessarily be a stalker, but um, it is interesting that he, whatever, he seems to be very interested in in Nikki. That's the first mention we've really had of it since the night after. I don't know if we're ever going to see him again. Um, that's a good question. Oh, Cheyenne at yrchat.com wants to weigh in on Hillary. Cheyenne says, I'm very upset 
at the way Hillary was treated this week. I hate that they all blamed Hillary for Juliet's sexual harassment lawsuit. I understand Hillary was wrong for encouraging her to file a false sexual lawsuit, but Juliet didn't have any mental problems to where she didn't know right from wrong. I also didn't like how Lillian Kane totally blamed her for the marriage falling apart. Kane was the one who cheated, sabotaged Billy at work, stole from children, and, and on top of it all had a child outside of his marriage. Plus, Lily almost got fired because of what Kane did to Billy. Uh, one last thing. As I love Hillary and Devon together, I don't want to see Hillary begging Devon or his family for forgiveness anymore. They have all become such a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. Um, yeah, I know it does. It, it puts it's tough because it's like, well, you know, I want Hillary and Devon together. But I think YNR has exhausted. I think they've just exhausted it. They've exhausted the Hillary character. I can't remember who it was. Someone mentioned, uh, I don't remember what, someone mentioned on the website that they thought maybe Hillary was going to end up, like, murdered or something. I mean, we've been losing so many characters. Is it possible that maybe Wyanar's going to dump her? I hope not. I mean, she's so interesting to me. I think they could be, do. they need to do something different. Something better. I thought she was getting better, and now it's like they're trying to drag her back into the muck. I just would have, I would have been happier if that zip drive thing just never came up. It feels, doesn't it feel like Mal is trying to bring in storylines that were, uh, that were kind of happening at the end before he took over, like the paternity, uh, Victor, that you know, the crusade against Victor, Juliet, um, you know, like, I just, it would have been okay to let this one go. Some things are okay to let go. The other thing about it is that I think that if you, uh, if you weren't, sometimes I feel like they're trying so hard to incorporate past stories that if you weren't watching then, it might be a little bit confusing. Sometimes I still have a hard time keeping track of what the heck was going on with Christian and his paternity. And blah, blah. I mean, it makes my head spin a little bit. Um, yeah, some things it's okay to just move on. Okay, let's switch into uh, JT real quick. Superplex at YRChat.com says, The decision to add another dimension to the JT character was very impressive. I can really get into the transformation of JT into a super sleuth for Paul and Christine, even to the point of tolerating his insolent personality. Of particular interest was the penultimate scene of yesterday's episode when JT was sleeping with Victoria while exploiting the opportunity to press her on dirt involving Newman Enterprises. It demonstrated that he was not above utilizing his sexual prowess to advance his agenda. I can, however, empathize with the reason why he chose to betray Victoria. He was facing prison time after Paul and Christine pulled a mutton Jeffrey routine on him when he, you know, had intended, all he intended to do was rescue Nikki from an unjustifiable prison sentence. Um, you know what? It is a, it is a twist. It adds an element to, to JT's character. I'll definitely give it that. It's just, I, 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 I was not, I, I remember JT being a, a sleuth, a super sleuth with, with Paul and it was a, it was a good place. I liked the teaming of Paul and JT. This seems so much more pressury and somehow adding Christine into the mix seems extra pressury. And I don't know that I like the idea that they're pressuring him to to do this. Well, then again, you know what? They're they're definitely pressuring him to do the undercover work, but they're not pressuring him to do it the way he's doing it. That's his choice. But much like we discussed last week, all of the things that JT's doing are still making for a very interesting story, whether you like him or not. It is something to sink your teeth into and to puzzle you and to watch. And even if I'm watching the show going, I hate him, it's still a reaction. It's still an emotion. And that is in part what I'm still looking for for the show. So good on them. Oh, Anna also left me a voicemail saying, Paul and Christine are on a witch hunt. They don't know what Victor is guilty of, but they keep pursuing that he's guilty of something. Is that really the best way to allocate resources? <laughs> yes, Anna. What do they even think Victor has done? 
They just think he's done something. So they're getting someone on the inside to find out what that something must have been. It is a witch hunt. It's a little annoying. I don't really like it, to be honest with you. Aaron on YouTube makes a good prediction here. What is going on with JT could be mood swings. He could be suffering from mental problems or that, you know, poses, Aaron poses that question. It is still possible. That's possible. He could have a mental issue that they're going to focus on in the future. I don't know. Robbie at YRChat.com says, remember when JT hit on Abby? That was a really random move. Hitting on your ex-wife's sister. He's been dating, or sorry, he's been doing a lot of random moves, but that initial Abby situation could have tipped everyone off. Someone needs to call Mac. I would love to see Victoria or Reed call Mac to get her side of the story. If, if something's up with JT, Mac, all the people, uh, they should know exactly what it is. Yes, Robbie, exactly. Someone just needs to fact check with Mac. There was a comment that JT made this week when he was having his yet another argument with Victoria. Uh, Victoria didn't know where JT was. He stood her up for lunch, so she called security to find out whether he left the building. And JT was very offended by the idea that Victoria would be tracking him. And he said something to the effect of, well, that's what Mac used to do to me. She used to check the odometer on my car to find out where I had been. Okay, is that true? <laughs> is that part true? Because if that's the case, then I trust Mac's word at this point <laughs> more than JT's. That tells me that he probably was going off and having affairs or cheating or something, and it was enough to make his wife check the odometer on his car. If that's true, something's up there, and a good fact-checking mission is what is needed. Mary Ann sent me a message to let me know that we may very well just get that because Kelly Krueger, ex-Mac, and David Scott Lago, ex-Raul, are headed back to Genoa City, both characters having a connection to JT. So, Wyanners having their 45th anniversary, I think, uh, says it's beginning in March, during the week of March 26th, Marianne uh, uh, says in the article she shared. Uh, so, uh, Mac's going to come back. Maybe she will shed some light on uh, what's going on with JT. I really liked Raul. I thought he was very cute, and I'm very excited to see him. I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, so it'll be interesting to to get a, a good gander at him. But Marianne uh, sent me this article also that mentions we got a few more people, like classic people, coming back to the show for the 40th, 45th anniversary. Jamie Lynn Bauer, who played Lori Brooks, I do remember her, and Janice Lind playing Lex, uh, excuse me, Leslie Brooks will reprise their roles during the week of March 26th. Joining them will be Meg Bennett, who made her YNR debut in 1980 as Julia Newman, the wife of Victor Newman. Oh, that's going to be good, too. I remember Lori a little bit better. They brought Lori on at some point in the 90s, I believe. She had some role at Newman, or she was interacting with Victor, I think, in some way. So I remember her a little bit more clearly. I don't remember Leslie personally, but I know Leslie, Lori, their sisters. They were at the very, very OG <laughs> Genoa City. Uh, so I'm sure that a lot of our viewers who have been watching since the beginning will remember them and will be excited about that. And of course, also Julia Newman. I think uh, Julia was the woman who Victor was married to when he came on to the show. So this is the, the pre Nikki days. All of that, I think, is going to be excellent. I am going to be hoping that uh, that YNR continues the parade of stars that they could bring onto our show in celebration of 45 years of YNR. That is no small accomplishment. So let's all, we got a month to go, but let's all look forward to what YNR has in store for that celebration for us. Okay, everybody, it's time for me to get going, but I wanted to make sure to let you guys know first that next week I am going to be doing an audio blog 
only. So you'll get the podcast if you listen to just the podcast. Uh, and I will post that also uh, on YouTube, but there won't I won't be in physical form for you. <laughs> I have a very, very busy, crazy week going on toward the end of the week. And I have a feeling that I'm not going to be a pretty positive feeling that I'm not going to be finishing my NRs until probably early on Sunday morning. So I am not going to have a whole lot of time to pull a lot, pull myself together. So I'm just going to pull out the microphone and do an audio blog next week. So just a heads up. I still will be reading your comments, though. YRChat.com is where you can leave them. I know you guys are going to have a lot to say about Chelsea this week, and I can't wait to hear it. So go to YRChat.com or call the voicemail 309-588-4569. Anything you want to say is welcome. Uh, I look forward to hearing you guys and getting your thoughts on the show. Okay, time for me to go. I hope everybody has a really, really good week. I love you, and I will. You'll hear from me (laughs) next Sunday. Bye.